facing a pagan culture. And I don't know if you realize it, we are, we, we are at the point in America where we have a pagan culture around us. There used to be a day when people claimed to be Christian, and there was even some semblance of Christianity in a lot of homes, but today there's a lack of it. And we look at this thing about facing a pagan culture, it's something that Paul saw as well. If you got your Bibles open there, if you remember last week, we were in, up to verse 15, and we saw how Paul, when he basically had to leave Thessalonica, went to Berea. Went to Berea, did the same thing he always did. He went into the synagogue and preached Jesus to them. People got saved, but some of those from 45 miles away, these Jews came just to give him a hard time. That's how much they didn't like the message that Paul had. We look down at verse number 14 before we get to verse 16. It says in verse 14, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Literally, because of the people being stirred up and what took place, what they decided to do is they said, all right, Paul, we're going to take you someplace else, and Silas and Timotheus are going to stay, and they'll disciple the people. There was just something about Paul that rubbed people the wrong way. I don't know what it was about Paul, but sometimes he just rubbed people the wrong way, and I don't know why, but he did. And uh, so what happens is Paul is basically sent, and they take him over to Athens. And I think the goal of Paul going to Athens was he was just supposed to be there and wait for the others to come. This was not, at the moment, going to be his next stop on his missionary journeys. He was kind of, all the trouble that was brewing, they kind of got him over there. He was kind of like on a vacation. Paul was now on vacation, kind of a sightseer, not a soul winner. But when you're Paul... It doesn't matter if you're on a mini vacation or a sabbatical or whatever the case may be. It didn't take Paul long to get back to what he was doing. So look there in verse number 16. It says, Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, I love this, his spirit was stirred in him. Well, why was Paul's spirit stirred in him? Look what it says. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So what did he do about it? He sat still and did nothing, right? Like most Christians today. How many of us would say we realize that there is a problem in our world today and we realize that people need Jesus Christ? How many of us would say that's true? Now, don't raise your hand on this question. Then what do you do about it? Most of us don't do it. Paul went and did something. We say we have a burden for the lost and yet we don't share the gospel with anyone. So we really don't have a burden for the lost if we're not sharing, right? That's true. We don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. We say that this world's a mess and something needs to change, and yet we do nothing to change it. We're comfortable enough sitting in our chairs a couple times a week and think that's all the Christianity that we need in our lives. That's not all the Christianity we need in our lives. There's a lot more. But anyways, I'll go deeper into the message tonight. Look there at verse 17. Because of his spirit being stirred up when he saw what was going on in the city. Look at verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. There he goes again. His custom was to go into the synagogue and to preach the gospel, right? And it didn't take him long. Where did he go? Even in Athens, 
He went right back there. And with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him, Paul was reaching out to anyone he could trying to do something about this. Verse number 18 says, Then certain philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now it's interesting, interesting to me that Paul is going to talk to, he talks about their unknown God, and by the time he is done, they are going to know who God is. So he says that you have this subscription on this altar to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. You don't know who your God is, so I'm going to help you know who God is. That's what Paul's saying right there. God that made the world and the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he need anything. Seeing he liveth to give all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. That they might seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, he will judge that by man, that that man by whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among which was Dionysus, an Arapagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. For a couple minutes tonight, I want to look and think about this thought of facing a pagan culture. Because I don't know if you realize that it's where, it's where we live today. Do you know it's getting to the point, even in America today, that you ask, you ask people, do you, know, do you know the Bible? 
you ever heard of Adam and Eve? Don't you think it'd be crazy for someone not to have heard of Adam and Eve? It's gotten to that point. There are a lot of people in America even that don't have a clue who Adam and Eve are. used to be when I was younger, and I'm not that old, but when I was younger, I would go witness and share my faith. And it was very easy to get someone that I could talk to them about Jesus dying on the cross. They knew that. They knew about Adam and Eve. There was lots of things that people just knew. The common person today has no clue about these things. say, well, why? Because as a society, we've taken God and his word and cast him out. That's why we see the mess that America's in today, because we've said, God, we don't want you anymore. And when you push God out, and when you make a God for yourself, of yourself, or of other things, you see that pagan culture around us, which is right where we are today. Which is why, even in the midst of a pagan culture, and we see Paul where he is at, we see the fact that he boldly proclaimed the truth. Because people still need the truth, even if they can't handle the truth. We're going to look at this tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. And I, Father, we're grateful for this evening. I'm so thankful for your love for us. And I pray that you'd help each of us as we look at this passage tonight. Help us to see the compassion, the heart that Paul had to get the gospel out. And I pray that you'd help each of us as we look here tonight to see some things from this passage that we can apply to our hearts and to our lives. We love you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul literally went to Athens. Just visiting. They kind of took him there. Got him away from everything that was going on. Because you notice everywhere that Paul went, there was a crowd that came behind to stir up trouble. When you do what the Lord wants you to do, there are times that trouble is going to come. Sometimes, and let's be honest, there are times we create the own trouble in our lives by the things that we do. But if you're suffering for the Lord's sake, that's a good way to suffer. And I'd recommend suffering for the Lord's sake. Not suffering because of our own stupidity. But I feel like a lot of times I suffer because of my own stupidity is where it comes from most of the time. But we look at Paul, literally, what's he guilty of? Preaching the gospel, being bold, a bold witness for Jesus Christ. You notice he leaves, and we see there that he waited in Athens there in verse number 16. And Athens was an intellectual capital of the Mediterranean world. A lot of intellects there. A lot of smart people. Or people that think they're smart. You know, I'm one of those, I'll be straight up honest with you. I am not the smartest person around, and I'm never planning to be one of the smart people around. There are a lot of other people that are a lot smarter than me. And there are some that really think they're smarter than me, but in thinking they're smarter than me, it shows they're really not. But there's a lot of people that are very smart. These people were, um, they literally were very smart. The city had the Greek culture. The Roman Empire was there under Roman control. But there were so many influences in this city. Philosophy and philosophers ran rampant in Athens here. And when we think about this, the central point of Athens was the Acropolis. And it rose 500 feet above the rest of the city and was, cra- and was crowned with things. And it was just this big thing. What you've got to understand is this is a very pagan place. And Paul couldn't sit still when he saw what was taking place, what they were hearing, when he had the truth. So for a little bit of time tonight, we're going to look at this thing of facing a pagan culture. Number one, as we dive into the notes, we see Paul's burden. We see his burden. 
We see the fact that while he waited, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry. Now, this is a bold statement right here, isn't it? It says, wholly given to idolatry. Not just this, this means the entire city, right? If we take the Bible for what it says, that means this entire city was wholly given over to idolatry. And as we look here, we see that he's there, he sees these things, and it really bothered him. And uh, some people would say that it was easier to find a God in Athens than a person in Athens. That's how crazy they were with all their pagan gods. So Paul sees, and that's, why, and that's one of the things that's so important when it comes to a burden, when it comes to the work of God. Sometimes we don't have a burden for the lost or have a burden for things because we don't see it. Our eyes affect our heart. That's Bible, isn't it? Paul saw it right there. Give you an example. So the rescue mission, I go down there once a week on Tuesday evenings. The rescue mission I used to before COVID, we would go once every two months on the second or third Thursday somewhere in there. And you go once in a, once in a long time and things like that, you really are not going to build a great burden for it. You go every week, and you got people that come in from the streets that are getting to know you and bringing you their prayer requests, and they have like a pastor that's there to encourage them, you get to know them a little bit better. You see what goes on on those streets down there. In all honesty, for me, my burden for Skid Row has completely changed because when you're there and you see it, it affects your heart. And one of the problems that the rescue mission's got right now is a lot of churches quit supporting them and they're running out of money. And you know what needs to happen is a lot of pastors and their churches need to go see it so that their eye will affect their heart. If you haven't, if you don't, just, just go around and talk to people. Go in the mall sometime. The other day I was in the mall. I hate the mall. It's not, you say, why are you in the mall? Just because? No. Um, I had to get something for Caroline. Had to get her some soap that she needed. Had to go to the mall and get it. And so when I went to the mall to get the soap, it was Ontario Mills. That thing's huge. So I thought, well, I'm there. I'm just going to circle the mall twice. That's good steps, right? Get some steps in while I circle the mall twice. I don't know how big it is, but I started doing it. And there's one little spot right there where there are two Jehovah Witnesses right there. And they're just sitting there. And it literally says, do you want to know God's will for your life on their sign? And I'm passing it the first time. And there's something inside of me that wanted to go up and act like I had no clue what they were doing or anything like that. What is God? I want to know God's will for me. I so wanted to do it. I wanted to get them the truth. And then I, I walked right by him because I'm like, I'm, no, this, Brian, you're not going to be good. You're going to be bad right now. And do you ever talk to yourself like that? I talk to myself like that. So I'm like, but the longer I went around, I got more convicted. I should have said something and gone up. What's it going to hurt? They, they're waiting for people to come talk to them. And if they don't want to talk to me, they can walk away, right? And so when I went back around, they were gone. I should have talked to them that first time. You know, we see the first thing about Paul's burden here. We see letter A, the fact that his spirit was stirred. His spirit was stirred when he saw people believing false doctrine. Do you know, I don't, I don't see that much today anymore. We aren't bothered that people don't preach the truth. 
We won't, we're not, we're not going to talk bad about anyone. I'm not here to talk bad about people. But religion sends people to hell. The Jehovah Witness, that cult, is sending people to hell by the belief system that they have. Catholicism is sending people to hell because of the beliefs that they have. It is. It's the truth. Mormonism is sending people to hell. Heathen religions are sending people to hell. And this is the thing. There are a lot of good people that get bought into all that garbage that just need the truth. That's what they need. They need the truth. But today we're getting to the point to where we don't want to talk bad about anyone and anyone can, anyone can get to God their way. That's not what the Bible says. There is one way to God. There is not multiple ways. Well, I just believe someday we're all going to find our way. No, you're not. There's one way to get to heaven. Every other road leads straight to hell. There is no other way around it. Well, you call him Jesus. I call him this name. No, there's none other name given among men whereby you must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. And if you preach a false gospel that is anything, Jesus plus this, plus that, whatever the case may be, it's a false gospel. I'm getting tired of Baptist friends of mine making you have to repent of all your sins before you can trust Christ. That's not salvation. Once you get saved and God convicts you of your sin, you need to repent and move forward from that. Repentance is key. But we need to, this, it should bother us still. We live like it's no big deal. Oh, they can believe what they want. We can believe, and people can believe whatever they want to. But when you have the truth of God's word before you, it should stir you up inside that you have the truth and everyone else has a lie out there. His spirit was stirred up. And many Christians are not, and this is the problem. We're not moved by other people and what they need from God. This is, we are so selfish today in Christianity. And you say, Pastor, you're just, yeah, we are. Like tonight, a lot of us sitting in this room, you're more concerned about your life and what's going on with you than telling your neighbor that they might go to hell without Jesus. And you can word it a lot nicer than that. You know, I would not suggest you go up to your neighbor and say, are you, are you going to hell? No, that's not the way I would start there. That's not how it started, but we're not. We're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with oh, well, so-and-so just wasn't nice to me. Well, why don't you just go tell someone about Jesus? That will solve your problems. Very simply. The problem is we get our eyes on ourselves. Do you know what Paul could have been doing? I don't even know why I'm going off on this. Do you know what Paul could have been doing? Paul could have been like, everybody hates me. Everywhere I go and I preach, all they do is they try to beat me up. And I have to go city to city. I just, I'm giving up on this thing. I'm going to go far away where I know no one and I'm just going to do my own thing and relax for a while. Nope. What did he do? He kept preaching the gospel. And he was stirred inside. He had a passion and he had, he, he had a zeal and a burden to reach people for the Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus loved people enough to give them the truth. We love ourselves too much, and that's why we don't tell people about the truth. His spirit was stirred. It's amazing when we look at this world and we see all the paganness in this world and all the other gods out there. Paul decided to confront that where he was. We see letter A that his spirit was stirred, but letter B, we see his voice was heard. 
He spoke what was on his heart. It's one of the other problems I think we got in Christianity today. If the Lord was really on our heart, we would speak about him. You remember when you got saved and how fresh salvation was to you? And how wonderful it was? And you would tell people, hey, this is what happened to me. Uh, I go to, I did blah, blah, whatever this may be. When's the last time you spoke about anything about God to anybody? Because the Bible makes it clear. The Bible tells us in Luke 6, verse 45, a good man, out of a good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of an evil heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is on the inside will eventually come out. Paul had a burden and desire to reach people for Jesus. And it wasn't a facade for everyone around. It was in here. And when it was in here, it came out for those around. Paul was there in a city wholly given to idolatry. I wonder, um, were there any other Christians in the city? It says the whole city was given over to, wholly given over to idolatry, so maybe there were no other Christians. So if you have a big, let's say you had a city of 500 people, which Athens was a lot more than 500 people. Let's say you had a city of 500 people, and you're the only one. Imagine thousands of people, and you're the only one. So the way it was for Paul. He literally spoke the truth to them and gave them the truth. And you've got to realize this, that when, when you're on God's side, he makes the majority anytime, no matter what the crowd is. We see Paul's burden, number one, but number two tonight, we see the behavior of the people from Athens. We see that in verse number 18. The Bible tells us about some of these people here. And uh, first of all, the first thing that we see, letter A, is the fact that they were philosophers. They were in love with their own wisdom. You look there at verse 18, and certain philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, um, encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others said, he seemed to be a setter forth of some strange God because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And when we look at, we see two groups mentioned here. You have the Stoics mentioned here. And that group there, if we were to talk about them, we see the fact that they were, is that number one or is that number two? Sorry, do number one. I don't know why I went there first. The Epicureans. They this group was an interesting group. They desired pleasure, and their philosophy was grounded in experience and not reason. They were almost atheistic in their thoughts and gloried in not knowing anything. For certain of them, you think about this, they, there were certain things that could not be dealt with. They just, if it couldn't be reasoned out, they left it alone. You also had number two, the Stoics. And they were, mere, they were materialistic. And uh, they also were pantheist. And their system was built on pride and personal independence. Nature was their god. They had many gods and things like that. And they believed that all nature was gradually moving towards a great climax. So these two groups had a lot of, philosophy, a lot of wrong philosophy in them. And as we look at them here we see the fact that not only that, did they have a lot of philosophy in them, 
what we see about this group, letter B, is that they didn't have Jesus. Because do you notice how they mention there at the end, he seems to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. They didn't know Christ. They had their philosophy. They had all sorts of myths and things they believed about their gods. They believed their gods took on human form, that they went into battles, that they, you know, that they behaved not, you know, there's lots of things. But when Paul said, this guy raised from the dead, it sounded a little crazy to some of them. And when they read, and you think about this, without Jesus Christ, Let's see how I can word this as I'm trying to word this here. When we look at a false religion, when we look at it, to us, we see it. Like, how could you believe that? How could you believe that Mary somehow gets you in better favor with God? There's a good example. Because we have the word of God, right? And we see that Mary doesn't get any special favor with God. And you don't get any special grace or anything from God because you go to Mary first. Or you see that they call their, their priest fathers. The Bible says not to call anyone father but your heavenly father, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? And then we see the fact that when it comes to having priests, right? You don't go to a priest and confess your sins. You have a high priest in Jesus Christ and we are priests in that of ourselves where we take our sin to God. But for us, we see it, and it makes sense because we have Christ. It changed everything. But do you realize that this world without Christ, they don't get it. They don't. Like, I look at a lot of things, like, it makes no sense to me, our governor. Nothing that Gavin Newsom does makes sense to me. Because even yesterday, he vetoed something I would have wanted him to veto. It's like, do you know you just did that? That, like, is opposite of what you've been saying with everything else. And my personal opinion is he's trying to not go too crazy on things because he's going to run for president before long. So remember those words right there, okay? And, okay. But I look at what he does, and I'm like, that, but to him, he doesn't get it. If he doesn't have Christ in his life and has the Holy Spirit inside of him, it doesn't make sense. Like we talked about this morning, faith, right? To me, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything out of nothing. To a lost person that is dead without Christ, that doesn't make sense. And it's easier for them to believe in evolution, which makes no sense, than to believe that God did it. To me, it makes sense that my God died on the cross rose again, and is coming again. That makes no sense that a God would die, rise again, and come again. Why would, a, why would your God do that? They don't get it. And when you don't have Christ, you're not going to get it. That's why this world needs Jesus. They need the truth from Jesus. It's what they need. What we see is that this group, they had a lot of philosophy but you can have a whole lot of philosophy and think you're the smartest person around. But if you don't have Jesus, you literally have nothing. You need Jesus. We see number three tonight. We see Paul's message at Mars Hill. This is one of 
I would call this one of the great sermons that we have of Paul's that he penned and preached. And it's interesting that they literally brought Paul to this place and began to question him. But you'll notice what Paul does, and we already read these verses, but you'll notice that Paul introduces his message by talking about their superstitions and their false gods like that. You see there in verse number 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul's like, you proved the point right here. You're worshiping a God you don't even know. And I know the God you need to worship. So I'm going to declare to you who God truly is. And as we look here at this and we see these things, he uses that altar of the unknown God and begins to preach to them about Jesus. And he gives them a few thoughts here in this message. Letter A, we see that Jesus is the creator. These groups, these philosophers, the Epicureans believed something close to evolution. They had no absolutes in their philosophy. And so we look, look at what it says there in verse number um, 24. God that made the world and the earth therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with man's hands as though he need of anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And you see, Paul had this belief. They didn't know where they came from. Isn't that how most of our world is today? A lot of people don't even know what gender they are. And that's pretty easy to figure out. I can, I'll just throw this, and I won't go deeper with it. I can go to Home Depot and ask them for a male plumbing part or a female plumbing part. And there are two different things. I can go in and ask, do you have any non-binary plumbing parts? They aren't going to have that! There's no such thing! And you can't make... The male, plumb, the male plumbing part decided today it wants to be sold as a female plumbing part. It doesn't work. And it's no different with the way God made us. You are how God made you. Oh, but I have different thoughts. The plumbing doesn't change. And that's as deep as I'm going with it. It's, it's crazy, though. Electricity, same thing. I, it's, our world makes no sense. We don't know where we came from. We came from monkeys, right? The big baboons, the apes, and things like that, and we've evolved into what we are today. And looking at some, you know, going to the zoo and seeing them mess, do their stuff, and going out here at break and seeing our kids at school, there are some similarities. And I see that just a little bit. But there, there's no compare. It, it makes no sense. Our world makes no sense on these things. And that's why, our world, that's why it's gotten to where it's gotten. You know, with God, there are absolutes. We know that God made male and female, right? We're just talking about this here. This world doesn't understand that because they don't worship the God of the Bible anymore. They became a God unto themselves, and that's why our world's the way it is, and people don't know anything anymore. 
Because they don't know the God that they're supposed to worship. And they're worshiping all these other gods or themselves, and that's why we're the mess we are today. And Paul says, I've been here for a little bit of time, and it's building up inside, and you have all these, all these things going on. You have all these gods you worship, and you have a, you're bringing all this stuff and worshiping an unknown God. I've got something for you. I know God. I know who he is. And first of all, he is the creator. He created it all. You might, you might not, he created it all. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made the way God made you to be. Not only is God the creator, is Jesus the creator, but we, and we see Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1-3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see letter B, the fact that Jesus is the governor. He rules all things. That's what the Bible teaches us here. Bible says there in verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far off from every one of us. And isn't that true? The Lord is not far off from anyone. He's not willing that any should perish. He's not far off. People might be far off, but he's not. He created boundaries for every nation and placed every people group on earth is what it tells us right there. That's what God does. God desires for us to seek him and all these things. We see that Paul's message at Mars Hill, as he says, you have an unknown God? Let me tell you about my God. He's the creator. He's the governor. He's ruler. Let us see. He's the savior. Jesus is the Savior. And look at what it says there. It says in verse number um, 28, for in Him, that's in Christ, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought, to th- we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. And at times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth that all men everywhere to repent. You see, you notice it refers to the times of ignorance. That refers to times of history, is what that's saying. You know, in other words, this world doesn't need to add, God, add Jesus to their collection of gods. He needs to be God, one and only God. You see, the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is them that perish, it's foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. Jesus is our Savior. He is the only way. And it's in him we live, we move, we have our being. And then we see letter D, that Jesus is the judge. Look what it says there, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath also given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us in John 5, 22 and 23, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all the judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. 
Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And God's appointed day of judgment, and Jesus is the one who will be the judge. God proved this by raising his son from the dead. And so we see this altar to an unknown God. Paul says, I know who God is, and I'm going to tell you about him. But you'll notice in verse 34, some people believe Paul, and some people didn't believe. Do you know something you need to realize? I've heard many a Christian, and even, even in Bible college and things like that when I was there, it's how, how you can get someone to get saved. You cannot get anyone saved. Mark those words. You and I don't save anyone. We can tell people. That's what we can do. We don't have control of the results. And I'm, I'm not, the other day I was listening to a service of a church somewhere. And in their service, they're like, how many people did you have saved this week? And this person had five raised up here. And they had 45 people they said got saved this week. Praise God if 45 people got saved. I don't know if that's true or not. I'd like to see if any got baptized and any growing in it. But at the end of the day, not one person in that room saved anybody. God did. And I think that was their heart. I don't think their heart was bad about it. But the thing is, you don't get to decide the results. He does. My job is to tell. That's my job. Paul's job was to tell, and some people claved to him, and they got it, and others didn't want anything to do with it. You and I are not in the results business. We're in the telling business. Let's do what God's told us to do, and let's get a burden for the lost. Let's get a burden for this world and get the gospel to them. Just